you'll be taking out your Bibles and turning to the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 1, and you might want to put a marker there as the basis of our study this evening will come from that book. You probably have seen at some point, if you haven't, you probably will, a church who eventually had to shut their doors, who came to the point that they had to just close the doors, the work could not continue on. I've seen some, I've heard of stories of many others. Unfortunately, it's something that has become very common in our day and time. But you know, while there are churches that have had to shut the doors because they didn't have enough people to continue on, there could be the possibility that we need to shut the doors, but not because there's a work cannot continue on. Here's what I mean by that. Look at Malachi chapter 1 and in verse 10. The passage is also on the board before you. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. The people of Malachi's day, the way they were worshiping, the way they were living, was such a way that God was rejecting that. In fact, God said in verse 10, that he would rather somebody just shut the doors than to receive the kind of worship the people of Malachi were offering, Malachi's day were offering to him. Should you think about that for just a second? He would rather somebody shut the doors to the temple than them continue to worship him in the way that they are. Let's talk about that this evening. Let's talk about the book of Malachi and shutting the doors to the temple. Let's look at this book this evening and notice three things. We want to talk about the background to the book and help us in understanding the book itself. We'll talk about the problems they had that led to the Lord making that statement. And then we'll take some time and make some application of that to us today. But let's talk about shutting the doors to the temple from the book of Malachi this evening. Again, we want to begin by looking at the background of the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi, and Malachi is a prophet, is a post-exile prophet. As we're studying through in our Wednesday night Bible class, we're studying pre-the captivity. We just looked Wednesday night and saw the fall of Israel, but we haven't yet gotten to the fall of Judah. We're getting there. Malachi prophesies not about the destruction of the nations, in fact, he's prophesying after they've been taken into captivity and returned to the land. The date of this, epistle, uh, of, this, of this prophet is about 445 to 432 B.C. Malachi is the last book written of the Old Testament. It is the last book written before the 400 years of silence that begins after the close of Malachi and ends in Luke chapter 1 when the angel of the Lord appears to Zacharias and promises the birth of John the Baptist. So again, in the period, this is the period of the return. If you're familiar with the periods of Bible history, this would be in the period known as the return. Again, they've already come out of captivity. They've come back into the land of Judea. The message of this book is that promises are conditional. 
that worship to God must be from the heart, and that God hates divorce. Those are really three overriding themes in the book of Malachi that are dealt with. The promises are conditional. Worship to God must be from the heart, and that God hates divorce. Now we set that background in that context of the fact that he is a prophet of after the return. He's a post-exile prophet because we see a different problem than the pre-captivity problem. So we're going through on Wednesday nights and studying through Kings and Chronicles, and if you go through the other prophets that are before the captivity, the problem facing the people of Israel was idolatry. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. In Jeremiah chapter 3, this is what Jeremiah said, the Lord tells to Jeremiah. Or or Jeremiah is repeating the message of the Lord. And he said in verse 6, The Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. And I said, after she has done all these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Remember, that's where Malachi is. After Judah comes out of captivity. So he said, Judah saw what Israel had done in playing the harlot with the idols. Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet for... For all this, her, treacher, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. So Jeremiah is telling the people, uh, the, the people of Judah should have been able to look at Israel, and we talked about this some on Wednesday night in the auditorium class, should have been able to look at Israel and say, okay, we see that Israel has done, and what Israel has turned from God, and they're serving idols. And so Judah should have, been warned, uh, should have seen that and seen it as a warning that they needed to turn away. But they didn't. They went, as Jeremiah says, and played the harlot also. 2 Kings 17 says the same thing. We saw this on Wednesday night in our study. But it talks about all the things that Israel had done. And here's what Israel did that led to their capture. And in verse 19 it said that Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord, but walked in the statutes which Israel had, uh, of Israel which they made. So here's all the things that Israel has done that leads them into captivity. Judah was doing the same thing. The problem was they were serving idols. But after the time in captivity and they've returned, we now see a different problem. When you turn to Malachi, the book of Malachi, you'll notice the current problem is a lack of wholehearted service. That's why that's one of the, the key messages of the book, is that service needs to be wholehearted. We'll look at Malachi 1, 6-14 in more detail in just a moment. But notice down in verse... In verse eight or seven through nine, that it says, "You have defiled. Uh, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the, the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably?" Says the Lord of hosts. But now entreat God's favor that He may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will He accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. So we're seeing a different problem. The problem is no longer they're bowing down to idols. The problem now is 
they are keeping the best back for themselves and their service to God is not wholehearted service. Again, we'll talk more about that in a second when we get to the problems, but just note, this is a different problem. That's why it's important for us to understand the time frame of Malachi, because when we look at it, it's a different problem than what we've been seeing in the books of history that we've been studying. But that's because he's writing after the return. So we've seen the background to the Lord saying the need for shutting the door to the temple. Malachi is prophesying to them after the return from captivity, letting them know that they need to be serving God wholeheartedly. But let's talk about the problems themselves. Three really key problems the people of Malachi's day had that led to the Lord saying that He wished somebody among them would just simply shut the doors. Number one, number one, they did not give their best. You're still, if your Bible is still open to Malachi chapter 1, notice again verses 6 through 9. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands... Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. You see, the problem is they're not giving wholehearted service to God. God has given specific instructions as to what they need to be doing in their service to him. In the book of Deuteronomy, he told them that all the firstborn males that come from your herd and from your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place that he chooses. But if there's any defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Notice what he said. If it was lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. That's specific instructions on what they're not to offer. Now turn back to the people of Malachi's day. If you turn back to Malachi chapter 1. Look down in verse 8. And when you offer the lame and sick, you know what they're offering? The very thing God said not to offer. They, they're, they're not listening to God's commandments about what to offer Him, and they're not giving their best in service to Him. They'll keep those back. Oh, they'll have flocks that are just fine. Those, though, they want to keep back for themselves. Here's this, here, here's this sheep over here. Here's this lamb over here. It's fine. It's healthy. I'm going to keep that back. That's benefit to me. But I'm going to offer this lame, this sick, this blind, or even the stolen are mentioned in Malachi 1 because that really doesn't cost me anything. See, as long as I offer this as sacrifice to God, then, then I can go serve God. I can give this in service to Him, but it really doesn't cost me anything. But remember what David said when he came after numbering the people and was to offer a sacrifice to God. 
And it's offered to him, the threshing floor, the materials for the altar, the animals for the sacrifice. He's told, I'll, I'll, the, the man that owns the threshing floor says, I'll give it to you. But David says, I will not offer to the Lord of that which cost me nothing. You see, the problem is the people of Malachi's day weren't willing to give their best. They wanted to serve God, but they wanted to sacrifice without a cost. They wanted a sacrifice that didn't faze them. They wanted a sacrifice that didn't hurt them. Oh, they're willing to serve God, but not with their best. In fact, notice in verse 8 that he talks about them offering the lame and sick. He says, you know, is it not evil? Is it not evil for you to offer this to God? It's sort of challenging the people of Malachi as they think about it. Is it not evil that you're offering this? Offer it then to your governor, the Lord says. If it's sufficient to give to the Lord of all creation, to the one that made everything around it, then offer that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you and would he accept you favorably? If it's good enough for the Lord, if you think it's good enough for the Lord, then it ought to be good enough for the governor. Offer it to the governor. See his reaction. See if he accepts you favorably. See what happens if you give him something, but you don't give your best. You see, in service to God, we need to be giving our best. The people of Malachi were not doing that. And so, in verse 10 of Malachi chapter 1, the Lord said, Who is there even among you who would shut the doors? so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. He says, if this is the service you're bringing to me, and you're not willing to bring your best, I wish somebody would simply shut the doors to the temple, so you'd quit offering that kind of worship to me. I'll tell you a second problem they had. Not only were they not offering their best, but they viewed worship as a burden. You see, they didn't, seem to, they didn't really view worship as important. In verse 12 it says, But you profane it, and that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food is contemptible. Worship's not really important to the people of Malachi's day. Oh, they did it because they had to. See, they'll be there to offer their sacrifices. They'll make sure they're there so, so that way they do what they're supposed to do, but it's not really important to them. In fact, in verse 13... They say, oh, what a weariness it is. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord. In reality, the reason they were offering the stolen, the lame, the sick, and the blind, the reason they were offering and not giving their best was because of their view of worship to God. They didn't view worship as important. They viewed it as a burden. One of those things where, okay, it's time for us to go sacrifice to God again. It's time for us to go serve Him, but I don't really want to have to go, but we, 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 we need to, and we're, we're going to go, but I don't really want to. It's a burden to them. It's a weariness, they say. You see, the reason they're, they're not offering of the best is because they don't view worship important and they viewed it as a burden and so it didn't make a difference how they did it. They were just simply going to do it for the sake of saying they did it. 
Oh, we're serving God. We're here. Look, we, we brought our sacrifices. Somebody asked him, did you take your sacrifices to the Lord? Did you offer a sacrifice? Oh, yes, we offered a sacrifice. We took and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. They took a lamb. They took him there and, and, and offered it up on the altar, but they kindled the fire in vain, the Lord says. Oh, they were attempting to worship God. They, they thought they were worshiping God, but in reality, because of their view, they simply were offering a, a sacrifice in vain. Because of their attitude towards worship, the Lord says, Who is there even among you who would shut the doors? You see, the problem of the people of Malachi's day is they, they did not give their best in worship. The problem is they viewed worship as a burden, and the problem was they were robbing God. Turn over to chapter 3 with me. Malachi chapter 3. God has given instructions on what one is to give. He said, You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Back up to verse 8. He says, Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. God says you need to bring the tithes. God had given them instructions on what they were to give. And here the people are offering sacrifices... Are, are, are giving, and they can say, oh, uh, uh, we brought and gave, just like they did over here with this sacrifice. Oh, we came and we gave like we were supposed to. Just like they, were, they could claim over here, we've offered these sacrifice like we were supposed to. But the problem was, they weren't giving specifically what God had commanded. Look again at verse 8. Well, a man robbed God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I've commanded you to bring tithes and offerings. And here you are, not bringing what I commanded you. And he says, what you are doing is, by not bringing what's commanded, robbing God. And as they're sitting here robbing God, and they're, 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 they're denying, oh, how, in what way have we robbed you? How have we done it? He says it's in your tithes and your offerings. By not giving what God commanded, they had robbed God. And so the Lord's reaction to that is, Malachi chapter 1 and in verse 10, Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? The Lord says, if that's the worship you're going to bring to me, if you're going to not bring your best to me, if you're, not, if you're going to come and worship me but view it as a burden and you're going to rob me, I wish somebody would just shut the doors and you would quit trying to serve me. Because as long as you're serving that way, the Lord says, I will not receive it. Well, that's the problem in Malachi's day. That's the background and the problems they had. But let's make some application of that in the time that remains this evening. Let's take some time and make some application. 
As we've gone through the book of Malachi and seen their problems that led to the Lord saying that He wished someone would shut the doors to the temple. What problems could there be today that the Lord would look at our worship and say, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors to the church building so that you would not worship me in vain. What do we need to take and learn from this lesson? Well, number one, I think something we need to realize is God demands and expects acceptable worship. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me. In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, coming down in verse 28, the Hebrew writer says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. The English Standard Version says that we may offer to God acceptable worship. In John chapter 4, it tells us what that is. To be turning to John chapter 4. You see, as we've looked at Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 tells us that God demands and expects acceptable worship. May serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now that tells me acceptable service involves reverence and godly fear. But John chapter 4 tells me what else that involves. Look at John 4. Remember, Jesus is talking to this, to this woman at the well, and she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is, is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. You see, God demands that our worship be in spirit and truth. There are two components there. And worshiping in spirit means we worship with the right attitude. We'll talk more about that in application in a moment. But it means that as we come to serve God, we possess the right attitude. That's the opposite, by the way, of the people of Malachi's day, who look at it and say, oh, what a weariness it is. But not only does it involve us worshiping in spirit, that is, with the right attitude, it involves us worshiping in truth. That is, worshiping in the right way. It is possible to worship, to, to try and worship God one way without the other. We'll talk again about the attitude more in a moment. But some may, may be very zealous in service to God, but they're not serving God in truth. That is, they're not serving God by what He has prescribed. On the other hand, we've got to be careful not to be serving God in truth and not in spirit. The two go hand in hand. The two must be accompanied together. So by worshiping God in truth, that means we have the right elements of worship. That's why we sing. Instead of having mechanical instruments in worship. That's why we spend time in prayer. That's why we partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week and the first day only. And there's unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. See, that's why we worship God in that way, because that is truth. 
And that is important in order to offer acceptable service to God. God demands acceptable worship, and that involves us worshiping with the right attitude and worshiping in the right way, that is, by doing the right things. But you know, not only do we realize that God demands acceptable worship, we need to realize, just as the people of Malachi's day did, that we too can rob God. Again, Malachi chapter 3, Will a man rob God? And yet you have robbed me. And then they said, In what way? And he said, In tithes and offerings. You see, there are ways in which we could rob God today. The passages on the board in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 9 have to do with giving upon the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he said, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, or verse 7 says, So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we can rob God in that way by not giving as He has commanded. God says as one has purposed in their heart. God says as one may prosper. If we don't give as we've prospered, if we don't give as we've purposed in our heart, what we've done is we've robbed God. But you know, there are many ways in which we rob God aside from just our giving on the first day of the week. We could be robbing God of the time He deserves. We need to spend time in service to God and come together on the first day of the week. We need to spend time in, in studying God's Word and seeing what we learn from it. We need to spend time in prayer to God. You know, all of those things are commanded in Scripture. And if we lack in any of those, if we're not giving the proper time that we need to to the study of the Word of God, if we're not giving the proper time we need to in prayer to God, if we're not giving the proper time we need to in worship to God, what we've done is we've robbed God of the time he deserves. You know, we can rob God of the honor that he deserves. If we're not showing God the proper honor by the way that we live as we claim to live as Christians, yet we're not living as we should. Or we, we, we want to show honor to God, yet we're not willing to serve, but we don't serve God as we should. We don't, again, spend time in prayer as we should. And we're not doing things to show honor to him. You know what we've done? We've robbed God. We've robbed God of the honor He deserves. We can rob God, as we've already mentioned, by not giving as commanded. So God says, as you've purposed in your heart, and as you may prosper, and if we, give in any way, if we don't give as we've prospered and purposed in our hearts, we've robbed God. We may rob God by not coming when assembled together. It's commanded by God to be here when we are assembled in Hebrews chapter 10, 24, and 25. And if we do not assemble as we are commanded... If we do not come together to offer service to Him, worship and service, by the way, that He deserves, then you know what we've done? We've robbed God. But not only can we rob God in those ways, we can rob God when we are here, but we don't have the right attitude towards service to God. The people of Malachi were there to serve God. But they weren't offering the tithes and offerings as they should. They didn't possess the right attitude as they should. Oh, they were there to serve Him. 
but they didn't possess the right attitude. And by doing that, you know what they've done? They robbed God. Likewise, if we come together to serve God and we sit here, we're in the pew and we're present every service. There's no way we would not be found darting the door of this church building as long as we are physically able. But yet we sit here and our mind is not focused as it needs to be. Our attitude and our heart is not in the right place. Then what we've done is we've robbed God of the worship that is due Him. So we can rob God just as the people of Malachi did. And we need to be careful to make sure we're not robbing God. Not of the time He deserves, not of the honor He deserves, not by not giving as He said, but not robbing Him by not being present when, when the, uh, assembled, and by being here but not serving as we are. We need to be careful that we're not robbing God. I'll tell you the third thing we learned, though, that we need to make application of. And that is we need to have the right attitude and be joyful about worship. In Psalm 122 and verse 1, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know what the psalmist's attitude is? The opposite of the people of Malachi's day. The people of Malachi's day said, oh, what a weariness it is. They didn't want to be there. Oh, they came, but they didn't want to be there to serve God. They viewed it as a burden and a weariness. We need to be joyful. We need to be the opposite of the people of Malachi chapter 1. So we need to make sure that when it's time to be here, not only are we here, but we're glad we can come and spend time in service to God, to spend time studying His Word, assembled together with those of a like precious faith. We ought to be glad that we can come together and worship Him. We ought to be joyful about worship. But you another thing we learned. I learned that we should give our best. We ought to give our best. In Luke chapter 21, is a story familiar to us. It's the widow with her two mites. He looked up and saw the rich, first one, putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said to her, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Just imagine for a second, you're in a place, we'll put it in today's terms. Imagine you have somebody that you go into a congregation and you've got a bunch of extremely wealthy people. They're billionaires. They have all sorts of money, and writing a check for a couple of million dollars is really no problem for them. They, they won't even miss it by lunch. They'll make it back before lunchtime. And so they roll time rolls around, and they don't even think about what they're giving. They just jot something down to throw it in, and you look at what they're giving, and you think, man, they're giving a lot. At the same time, you may have somebody over here who's just barely scraping by making ends meet. For them to give five dollars would be a great sacrifice, and they give, say, ten, fifteen. You look at it from we often look at it from a numerical standpoint, and we would look at that as that person is not making much, is not giving very much. And these people over here are giving a lot. When in reality, the one who gave the smaller amount is the one who really and truly gave the most. Because it calls them a it was a sacrifice. These people over here may not even realize, may not even be paying attention to what they've done. It's just nothing for them. You see, the one who gave, the, the widow in this story gave her best. 
in service to God. In fact, she gave everything in service to, or in giving to the treasury versus those that just out of their abundance put in. And we ought to be giving our best in our service to God. Which really raises a question, is it giving our best when we are not focused on God in worship? I want us to think about some things about giving our best in service to God. Is it our best if we're here to serve God? We're here, we're in the pew, we, we wouldn't miss, but we're here, and while we're here, we're not focusing on God. Our minds may be distracted, wandering to and fro. We're not focused on God and His will. Is that giving our best? Is it giving our best when we're just ready to get out of here? We're simply ready to leave this building and ready for whatever may come after. On Sunday morning, maybe we're thinking about what to get for lunch. Maybe Sunday evening, we're thinking about the Sunday night football game that comes on at 7.30. Maybe we're sitting there thinking about the friends we're going to see afterwards. But whatever it is, something else is on our mind and we're ready to get out of here. Is that giving our best? Is it giving our best when just simply getting up to go to worship is too, seems to be too much? When, we, when it comes time to roll around on Sunday morning and oh, we're going to be there, but our mindset is, I really don't want to go, but I have to. Is that giving our best in service to God? Is it giving our best when recreational activities crowd God out? When there are things of this world that we would rather be doing, and so we, we're going to be partaking in those things, and it, allow, it crowds God out to where we're not going to be here. But, oh, we're, going, we're, we're spending time with friends, we're spending time with family, but we've crowded God out. Is that giving our best? Is it giving our best when we view worship as casual? Not a service to God, but it's just any normal daily activity that we partake in. Is that giving our best? Is it giving our best when we dress casually for worship and just simply dress the same way we would for any recreational activity in which we partake? Is that giving our best to God? Is, is it giving our best to God when the collection plate comes around and we think about how much it's going to cost us to put in and not about the fact that we're giving for the spreading of the work of God? Is that giving our best? Is it giving of our best when we simply give God the leftovers? Which is if when the collection plate comes around we have to Dig in our pockets for change because we, you know, got to give something and we kind of forgot about it. Is it giving, or when we give God our leftovers because this whole week we've been trying to do everything we can and, all, and pack our schedules full to do everything we want to be doing. And so now we've got to quickly run and we'll go serve God, but as soon as it's done, we're back to doing the activities we want to do. Instead of making service to God... The, the biggest part of our lives, and instead of making service to being Christians the biggest part of our lives, we give God the leftovers, whatever's left when the day is said and done. Is that giving God our best? God demands our best, and God deserves our best. We need to ask ourselves, are we giving God our best? And finally, I learned that improper service is worse than no service at all. The consequence may be the same. God would rather you not be here than offer improper service to Him. Who is there even among you, Malachi 1 and in verse 10, who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. 
For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, and that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. You also say, Oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick, thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord. God says, as long as you're bringing me that kind of worship, I'm not going to accept it. As long as you bring me that kind of worship, I have no pleasure in you. As long as you bring me that kind of service, I wish someone would shut the doors so you wouldn't come worship me at all. We need to take the time to evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves, am I serving God acceptably? Am I worshiping Him in spirit and in truth? Am I offering to God the kind of service that He deserves? Or am I somebody who views worship as a burden, not giving their best and robbing God, just as the people of Malachi's day. Because if I am, God says, I'd rather somebody just shut the doors so you wouldn't be here, rather than you come and offer me that kind of worship. So we need to take a look at ourselves and ask ourselves, is our worship the kind of worship that God would rather us just shut the doors and not be here? Because if it is then we need to change our attitude towards worship and change what we've been doing to make sure we're serving Him exactly as He said in His will, in spirit and in truth. And so may we evaluate ourselves to see if we are offering to God the kind of acceptable service that He deserves. And not the kind of service that leads His Malachi's day to Him wanting somebody to be shutting the door to the temple. As we come to a close this evening... It may be that there are one or more present who may have never responded in obedience to the gospel. If you're here and you've never responded in obedience, but you've heard the word of God and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, are you not willing to repent of your sins, to confess your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism, to rise and walk in the newness of life? And then you can be a servant of God, dedicating your life to Him. And if you live in a way that you should, you show the honor to Him that He deserves. Maybe you're here and you've obeyed the gospel, but you say somewhere along the line, I've not been the kind of servant, the, uh, offered to God the kind of service I have, either in worship to Him or the kind of service in my life I ought to be worshiping. If it's a sin of a private nature, you can take it to the Lord privately in prayer. But if it's of a public nature, you desire the prayers of the congregation, we will pray with you and for you for God to forgive you. But no matter what your need is, if we could assist you this evening in any way, would you not come forward as together we stand and as we sing?